Hello. Hello. My name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McElhear. And welcome to the Anna Film Scoop. Uh, it is week 96. That's one year, ten and a half months, since the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. And they are flattening the curve to this day. Everyone's uh, getting flattened in one way or the other. And we are in Ireland. If we don't hurry up recording this, we're going to miss the pub. Yes. Literally. And that's not because we're alcoholics. We have to go to the pub because otherwise we won't be able to upload this. And you because notice that we have very... Uh, rudimentary. rudimentary. Yes. Because Rud- we have to go to the pub to download this because in Ireland of 2022... Correct. You can have an abortion, but you can't have broadband. There you go. Because that's, you know, that's, that's the way. That's, that's progressive. That's the. That's the. Um, yeah. That's how progress works in Ireland. Yes. So later, Phelan is going to be talking to Tony Kinnett, an Indiana school administrator whose life was completely turned upside down because he told the truth. The truth. Yes. And the New York Times. It's, you know, it's a great story, actually. You won't it is a great it. story, and also an extraordinary story on January the first, which I think, by the way, is kind of interesting, Phelan. By the way, my birthday. Not just mentioning that. Please don't forget to wish Anne happy birthday right. in Thank the you. comments Thank on you YouTube. Very much. Now that we're back on YouTube. But New York Times, but the New York Times dropped a story on January the first, which I think is kind of interesting, yeah. by the way, which I think hasn't gotten the coverage it should have gotten and went largely unreported. However, we did not. We well, being the fail. Un, being the unreported story. Did, we society. didn't fail to notice it, by the way. And we watched the original, the Christmas special. Don't Netflix look. original movie. Don't Netflix. look up. Opinion is divided. I want to hear your opinion on it. Um, so I and Anne thought it was a... Anti-Trump. A, a, anti-climate change nonsense. But opinion, some very respectable people, and I'm pointing, I know that, some very respectable people have different opinions. We'll discuss that later. So I want you to yes. chime in with your comments. And people, by the way, that we respect have yes, very oh, no, opinions to, on it. To, to several people. Very, several, several people. people. Okay. Um, um, and we have an amazing recipe, a very fabulous, uh, simple recipe, which I think we made more difficult. But anyway, really, really nice recipe that I'm very happy to share with you. Uh, but first, before we start anything, we want to say a huge thank you yes. to everyone for responding so well to our end of year campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we, were, we're, we are really thrilled. Yeah. We're delighted. Thank you. Next year is going to be a huge, huge year. The movie's going to come out in a few months, as you know. We're working on the top secret project. Yes. And, you know, this is... We, we needed you. There's going to be a lot going on. You then. responded. There's going to be some very angry people next year because of the stuff we're doing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the kind yeah. of people we are. Yeah. So, but let's first go over to the interview that Phelan did earlier with Tony Kennett. Um, yes. Really amazing interview. Let's, let's watch that now. So I'm joined now by Tony Kinnett, who is, or rather was, uh, an administrator with the Indiana public school system. And uh, he's had some uh, interesting uh, career developments very recently, just over Christmas. And that's all because of uh, his, his desire to tell the truth about what was going on in the An- Indiana public school system. Welcome to the Alan Phelan Scoop, Tony. Uh, and uh, so... Tell me, what role did you have uh, last year that, 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 and what, what did you get access to that, that, that changed your life? So uh, for the Indianapolis public school system is the, uh, at least it's one of, if not the biggest Indiana public school uh, district. And uh, mm-hmm. I was the district science coordinator and uh, head instructional coach. So my job was to be in charge of the teachers, of the coaches, of the science curriculum, of how it's taught, how it's assessed, what it's made out of for the entire district. And that involved over 280 teachers from elementary all the way through high school. That involved meetings with AP and our uh, advanced classes that are usually gone through Notre Dame uh, and a whole lot of other 
uh, scientific aspects from textbook adoption all the way to looking at assessments and kind of deciding what direction that IPS needed to go in order to be better at science. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> uh, I'd kind of been aware of some of the things going on in the district since I had started. Uh, the racial equity trainings that I was required to attend early on were very uh, provocative. Um, some of the things that they said, the Racial Equity Institute out of the Carolinas says some very, very weird and aggressive things in the matters of race, not talking about, you know, history and things that have happened and how to appreciate other cultures. That's one thing and that's a valuable thing, uh, but rather how to, rather how one individual group is responsible for the collective sins and guilt uh, perceived mm -hmm. by this other group. And then they, they showed a lot of qualitative data graphs, which are basically so, just, well, I feel this is racist. So tell me, who, who is this? Who, who was behind these graphs? What group? Well, the Racial Equity Institute, which is out of the Carolinas, yes. is a group that works all over the country in racial equity trainings. It's one of the biggest groups mm -hmm. hired. They're the founders of what's called the groundwater approach, uh, which is basically an analogy mm -hmm that, well, if, if you looked in a lake and you saw a lot of, if you saw a dead fish in the lake, you would say, hey, that's a dead fish. But if you saw tons mm -hmm. of dead fish floating to the top, you would assume there's something wrong with the water. And that's what the United States mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of black people and they're the dead fish and they're choking in the waters of systemic and institutional racism, which is quite a stretch and quite a leap, but that's their analogy. And so that's kind of where all of that goes. Are you telling me that they were influencing the Indiana public school curriculum? Is that, is that what you found out or is that, was that known? So for Indianapolis, um, which is just the specific district in Indiana, the racial equity office that hired them uh, heavily influenced the uh, Indiana standard interpretation curriculum. So what they would do is they would say uh, every single class needs to have a racial approach and focus. So they would, they're very obsessed uh, with making sure that um, every conversation in every class is really pointed towards their very warped view of racial equity. And yeah. they have gone so far as to pass uh, uh, certain resolutions through the school board uh, in order to make sure that we're utilizing certain curricula of critical race theory um, that not only are empirically false, but are incredibly race essentialist. So the 1619 Project and encouraging students that all of these horrible things are out to get them at all times. And that's always the way it's been in the United mm -hmm. States. So you work for the Indiana public school or the Indianapolis? Indianapolis, system? Mm -hmm. which is one of the oh, Indiana Indianapolis. public schools. Mm -hmm. Well, then you, you recently exposed this, right? You, you uh, said this was happening. Uh, surely you were um, lauded and applauded for exposing this in Indiana. No, there's a very interesting uh, myth in a lot of the country that Indiana is this far to the right, this very red state, um, but that's not true. It's, it's, it's pretty purple in, in certain areas and in, in certain circumstances and, and really far to the left in, in mm. some of the cities. Uh, I was called a lot of bad things by individuals in the schools. A couple of the teachers, a couple of the staff reached out and said very interesting and derogatory things about me. Mm -hmm. One of my coworkers a math interventionist said a number of really racist things, which fit perfectly alongside uh, her other tweets, encouraging white students and black students not to spend time together at college campuses mm -hmm. and parents not to let them do that. Uh, it, really, though, I, I was given a, a lot of encouragement, mm -hmm. I will say, 
um, from a lot of parents and individuals in the community. And a lot of teachers and principals and IPS agreed with what I was saying, agreed with what I or agreed that it was necessary to expose this and expose mm -hmm. the dishonesty of the district. Um, and I was really surprised at the ratio of encouragement to disparagement. And mm -hmm. I'm still incredibly impressed at how many uh, Indiana parents and teachers and really even across the country and globally. Your cat looks remarkably like our cats, actually, uh, tabby, a great tabby. We have Scaredy Cat and Top Cat. And what's that name? Uh, this that is a is? Calico, and her name is, is Sprout. And, or excuse me, she's a tabby. Her name is Sprout, and she's uh, very, very needy. Um, yes. And she the, really doesn't like it be. when I get on interviews and I forgot to shut the door. I apologize. Okay, no problem. Yeah, we're, we have the same problem. We're just not in our studio at the moment, but we, we basically hit this uh, the, the cats come and sit in front of our, our camera all the time. Um, they do so, that. So yeah, they, sit, they they like the lights, I think, or whatever they like. So anyway, sorry, what's the name of the cat again? Sprout. Sprout is very welcome on this show. We can't be uh, discriminating against cats on this show. Um, so, but you, you, there's been a development over the Christmas holidays. Uh, I think in late December, you got some very bad news or some very interesting news. Yeah, the, there had been an investigation, and I guess I really should say an investigation, because uh, the, the Human Resources Office had admitted to a few individuals that they didn't think were listening or didn't think would let me know. They'd already made the decision yeah. to fire me. My boss was already telling people in the department that I was gone, uh, which was really interesting and not very intelligent. But, you know, then again, that's probably mm -hmm. par for the course. Um, that said, I did get a letter officially from the superintendent. Um, that had been dated a few mm -hmm. days later just because of postal delays and things uh, that had suggested that she was immediately recommending to the school board of commissioners uh, that I was to be terminated immediately. And they gave a list of charges, mm -hmm. but in the first paragraph stated, we don't even need these list of charges. We can get rid of you for whatever. Uh, and we are getting rid of you because you've disrupted school operations in addition to, and then they listed a bunch of things that were not only in incredibly small, but very vague and uh, really had nothing to do with the, uh, some of the things they've cited in, in HR meetings. They were very upset at me about. Yeah, and the school board so, so commission was uh, actually asked to fire me immediately. Uh, they didn't say when. Uh, they didn't say what there was a date that I could attend a certain public hearing, you know, in which they would officially mm -hmm. make the decision. They just said they're going to vote at some point and then you'll be fired. And have they voted yet? Don't know. They, they haven't given me a date. I, I guess I'm expecting some kind of letter. I actually right. contacted my uh, my legal team this morning uh, to draft a mm. request immediately that I am going to come get my things from my office. I have a few personal effects, uh, not just mm. a Keurig, but like a gift or two from my, my father-in-law and, and things that I'd like to have. Mm. Um, I don't want boxed up and sent to me in some crude and indelicate fashion. Yeah. So... Tell me the worst things that the that the curriculum in India and Annapolis were, were suggesting be taught. Oh man! I mean, that's like asking someone uh, who went to Caesars in Las Vegas what was the uh, most incredible thing at their dinner buffet. Oh, that's that's mm -hmm. going to take a minute. Yeah. Some of the incredible things that I saw that are coming to mind uh, were a history teacher um, mm -hmm. at Crispus Attucks High School uh, yeah. disparaging Booker T. Washington to his class, saying that he was terrible he was he didn't go as far and and even his students when he'd asked you know whether they thought booker t washington or web du bois approach after the civil war were more appropriate were more effective he had a lot of students that were minority students 
suggesting that they understood why Booker T. Washington said the things that he had said, why he supported a more moderate approach <laughs> to Reconstruction. Yeah, yeah. And the teacher <laughs> completely distanced this, this white teacher in his 30s, like waved him off uh, yes, yes. and kind of like went in the opposite direction and, and started saying, well, I think that, you know, it yeah, should have yeah. been more radical. So that was, yeah. that was very interesting. That was a direct application of critical race theory. Yeah. Some of the other interesting racial stuff, we paid the indie Black Lives Matter activists to come talk to a required audience of middle schoolers at Butler Lab 60 that uh, were told that crime is made up. It was made up by white people in order to uh, tie up minorities, uh, mm -hmm. that all of the Indiana Senate wanted to put 12-year-olds in jail, uh, and, and that mm -hmm. the society of, of American Indianapolis was patriarchal and, and an evil, incredibly racist. And, mm -hmm. and, and apparently we all just uh, evaporate black women from our mind, which is not only silly and stupid, uh, but incredibly arrogant and ignorant as well. Uh, our well, has, director has of racial equity he, called us all racist to these middle schoolers. Yeah. Uh, there's just oodles to choose from. Eradicate black women from our mind. Uh, has he watched TV? Has he, have these people she. watched TV recently? <laughs> she. Uh, it was a it was a know, meeting of all uh, she, of all black women and uh, femmes, which yeah. would be uh, men pretending to be women. I, I can't remember who it was recently tweeted about you know maybe it's Ariana Grande saying you know when I was growing up there was no minorities no minority pop stars and like when she was growing up it was Michael Jackson and. Diana Ross, you know, I was going to say no minority pop star. Some of the greatest and most celebrated hits from that era came from non-white male individuals. And from the 60s, no one had any know? issues with that. I mean, she's yeah. she's like no. my age. How pathetic. But yeah, you said about the white teacher. And funny, it's always the white uh, liberal, the white liberals who are almost more racist uh than than, uh, than than the african-americans uh, certainly in my experience when I, we did the i don't know if you know we did the ferguson play here in los angeles where we took the uh the the grand jury testimony of all the witnesses uh of the shooting of michael brown and did a play on it uh, made a play only using the actual verbatim testimony nine of the actors walked out because the truth of the eyewitness accounts didn't match the media narrative um, they walked out during rehearsals, but only you know some of the some of the African American actors did you know make a stand. And all, but the most anguished uh, complaints and emails I got were from the white actors who felt like they had to sort of you know doubly remonstrate with me for just for for giving black actors and black people a voice on the stage in Los Angeles. So it's it, you know. There's nobody more racist, in my opinion, than the, than the whites who, who white white liberals. So th there's a really interesting microcosm to expand there, and I, I saw this with my supervisor, who would argue vehemently. So first of all, she would complain that I didn't go to her about my my issues with race essentialism in Indianapolis, uh, but then she would mm. start projects and initiatives on equating culture to color. And this is something that has really gotten under my skin in the last couple of years, suggesting that mm -hmm. because there are two black students, then they must think the same, they must be the same, they must find the same cultural foundational points to rest upon and to expound from, which is of course, incredibly mm -hmm. ridiculous. If you have a, a student who comes from a rich household in New England, and a student who comes from a poor neighborhood in Indianapolis, they're not going to be culturally yeah. similar. Whereas if you have two students yeah. from the same poor neighborhood in Indianapolis that go to the same church, that go to the same uh, classes, that you know have parents that, that may speak see each other at the grocery store, those are going. Those two students, regardless of color, are going to be more culturally similar 
than two students of the same color from different sections of the country. And I, I find it really insulting uh, that people are doubling down on the necessity of equating color to culture. It's, it's really gross. It's, it's really sickening. And, and there are even some people on the right that do this. Um, people that are trying to preen and yeah. say, well, we need to make sure that, our, our, that we teach black history. And I ask, okay, well, what is black mm -hmm. history? You, you need to define that term. And what they come forward with are a lot of uh, Americana, inner city, Southern black cultural things that are black history. Well, that's not the history of the black people of the United States. That's a history of a cultural point. And they need to be distinct because mm -hmm. you can't just yeah. lump all black people together and say, well, these people all think the same. They're all the same. That, that's a way that we approach animals. Yeah. And it's, it's disturbing. So regressive too. I mean, yeah. this is what I always, you know, find coming to America was, you know, that progressive people had mighty regressive ideas, you know? So where are we now? Where are you now? You have been told you're going to be fired um, uh, despite not, not being disciplined or not having, is that right? Not ha really having a disciplinary hearing. Um, have, when are you expecting to be fired? Are you taking legal action? What's, what's the latest? There's a lot in play regarding Indianapolis. There's a lot more that we're going to be you know, taking a look at, but there's really a lot that's going on around the country that there is a necessary yeah. work to shine a light on education. Education has mm -hmm. become one of, if not the biggest yeah. issues uh, for voters of all kinds and creeds and stations. And when thinking about kind of the boiled down concepts of what need to occur, there's a staunch lack of individuals stepping up with the experience, with the credibility, that the left theoretically would recognize, but also the, the value towards a parent-focused approach, which the right values. And I think that's work that, mm -hmm. that needs to be done. That's certainly what we're doing at Chalkboard Review. Uh, as far as is what I'm going to be doing uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, some of that information is, is a little bit underground because we're mm -hmm. trying, honestly, this, this isn't the Tony show. Um, and regardless of my critics suggesting that I did all of this to get a lot of media attention, I don't believe this is the Tony show, you know, tell everyone that I'm going to go out in front and be mm. Mr. Whatever to, to mm. anyone. Uh, I am testifying before the Indiana General Assembly, which is our legislative body on Wednesday on the matters of critical race theory and education policy. Mm -hmm. And I have been contacted by a lot of representatives and senators in Indiana from both sides uh, to have discussions on this matter and to really help shape policy by people who've worked in education policy, which I have studied education policy uh, since I was mm -hmm. an undergraduate student. And I was actually Governor Walker of Wisconsin's, one of his junior education policy advisors. So yes. boiling all of those things down and, and walking things a little bit back, as for what I'm gonna be doing in the next couple of weeks, it's the same thing that I'm going, <laughs> that, I've, that I've been doing, which is making mm -hmm. sure that organizations that were developed to be transparent and accountable are held transparent and accountable. And at this point, those issues involve critical race theory, uh, closings because of COVID, the massive teacher shortage, which is being horribly misrepresented by the left, uh, a lot of dishonesty going there to gain sympathy with the public and suggest that schools aren't being given enough money by their respective states, which isn't true. So there's a lot of work to be done, and, and we're going to, to, yeah. uh, to uh, pull kind of an old quote, we're going to do our damnedest. And that's the idea. I suppose you know, the thing I take from this is that if it's, if it's happening in Indiana, uh, it's happening everywhere. Uh, this, you know, you, you know, I know you're saying that Indiana is not as right as our conservatives people say, but still, you know, there's a lot of eyes there, but this seems to have gone under the radar for so long. 
um, the, the parents. And as you, you know, we talked to someone last week on our show and, and she said she felt 2021 was the year of the mom. You know, when, when moms found their voice and really woke up to what their children were being taught and uh, had, had a political voice now and political power. So, you know, let's, let's see where that goes. Um, how do people find you? Uh, Twitter or Facebook, where, where are you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at the Tonus, T-H-E-T-O-N-U-S. However, Twitter's kind of a dumpster fire and, and I would recommend following more. So uh, the Chalkboard Review, which mm. is an organization that I and a few others run by teachers for mm-hmm. parents in the community. Uh, and that is uh, chalkboard on, review. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That you can find the website, thechalkboardreview.com. Uh, you can also mm-hmm. find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, at chalkboard rev. So that's chalkboard and then R E V. Okay. Chalkboard rev. Well, great to talk to you. So I, I was telling you earlier, we do this with every guest. Um, we ask them, what is the work of art that has inspired you? Uh, it can be a play, a poem, a work of uh, a painting. It can be a song. What what inspired you and why? Easily the painting Nighthawks by Edward Hopper is one of my favorite pieces of all time. It's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful scene to look at. Uh, I've always loved, I mean, there are a lot of variations of it that, that people have done that, that kind of fit more of a millennial meme culture, yes. uh, different yes. sets of characters that are exactly. sitting in the diner. Yes. But yes. I just, I'm fascinated by it. The the, I'm not going to pretend to be some art expert, but I do appreciate how it is a main focus night painting. I don't see a lot of paintings that zoom in on a lit center focus with night surroundings. It's not incredibly mm-hmm. common in art, and right. or at least the art that I've seen. And again, I'm not some mm-hmm. master cultured individual on the art scene, but that's definitely my favorite. I have a few prints of it, and uh, it is hanging in our guest room. And, and why, what, what appeals to you? Is it the uniqueness of it or? or? The uniqueness of it, for sure. Uh, the, the brush style is, it's just uh, the way that the, the people are, are formatted. Um, just kind of the, the level of detail that's not so specific and detailed that it, that it really can only look at it once and then it's, it's done. But it, it really pulls me in based on how the brush work is, is really put together. And of course mm. it's got kind of a 1950s style look in it as well, which, you know, I really appreciate um, just, it fits it a does, really classic it? Americana I mean, look. Yeah. It's very Americana. Um, and when was it painted? It was painted uh, in 1942. I'm, I'm definitely no expert, but yeah, pulling from my phone there, I have actually gotten to see it in the uh, Chicago um, Metropolitan Art Museum. And that was really cool. There are, you know, about five paintings that you, that you associate with America. And that, that is one of them. It's a very classic Amer- urban American scene. It's, 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 you're right. It is a wonderful painting indeed. So we also ask people, what's your recipe? What are you known for? And, uh, you know, what, what's, your, what's your go-to? And how do you, how do you make it? Oh, my, my go-to is, is easily a, a pan seared steak with Irish butter, uh, because there's, there's truly nothing better than that. However, yes. uh, I will say that, that I got into this after I, uh, <laughs> I was teaching in Lawrence North, which is an Indianapolis school. And, and one day, one of my, my co-teachers in the science department, she came in my room and said, have you ever had a Mississippi pot roast? And I was like, no, I, I haven't. She said, well, you have to try it. If there's ever anything that you do, you will go home and you will try this recipe. 
And I don't like roasts out of the crock pot. They're dry. They're really flavorless. Mm. I mean, the carrots and potatoes are like the worst way you can prepare both of those vegetables. And I was a little skeptical. And what she said was you take a pound of roast or it can be a two pound roast. And Mm -hmm. if you want, you can lightly sear it, you know, give it a good hard sear before you throw it in and put it into the crock pot with half a jar of pepperoncini peppers with one packet of au jus gravy, one packet Mm -hmm. of ranch, which I thought was interesting. And uh, let's see. Oh, and (laughs) a, a half to a full stick of butter. And then you set that in there for low on eight hours or high on four, okay. or if it's an Instapot, about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And what you will get is one of the most, and at high pressure on the Instapot, I should, should say, mm-hmm. it is easily the most flavorful, tender roast. I'm, I'm blown away every time I make it. I, I, realistically, it is the okay. go-to. It, we've had it so many times. It's super quick, super easy, um, which is an educator mm-hmm. That's really nice. Throw it in the crock pot in the morning, come home to it at the, in the evening. And the roast, if, if you have to, the roast can be frozen, even if you put, if you put it in there and then wow. of course, salt okay. and pepper to taste, it is truly so phenomenal and packed with flavor. Every time I make it, I, I can't believe that it comes out of that. And again, like the name, the Mississippi pot roast, it's, it's something that, that sounds kind of strange, but that is the go-to if we're serving guests and we need a quick, easy meal, whip up some mashed potatoes with it. And it, I mean, it, it really, it gets wows and it's, it's not hard. There's nothing special uh, about it. It's just good. It has my mouth watering already. So thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, keep, please keep us posted about what's happening. Uh, we'll send everyone to, to your, uh, to the chalkboard review. You're doing a very important job. Um, and uh, I think parents out there need to be aware of what their children are being taught in schools. Um, there's some very, confused 12 and 14 and 15 year olds running around being, being their little their pure brains are being fed a lot of nonsense so it's and it's interesting and parents need to know that and uh, be equipped for that so thanks very much tony for joining us and uh, keep us keep us posted on, on what, what's happening thank you very very much i really appreciate it Oh, and I like the sound of that recipe film yes that sounds really really uh, it good. was nice actually it mm. was nice, yeah. okay and and the work of art, actually, it's, it is a, it's a wonderful work of art. You know, I can see why you own so many prints of it. The amazing story that I was talking about in the New York Times was, here's the headline that they ran with. When they warn of rare disorders, these prenatal tests are usually wrong. Yeah. So, so, so basically all these prenatal tests for these rare conditions are, 85, are wrong 85 times out of 100. 15, 85% 15 failure times rate. right out of 100. Um, How many people were recommended terminations based on those um, yes. sorry, abortions, recommended abortions based on those results? How many people do we know who's, who were told their children would be Down syndrome, uh, which is not, by the way, covered by these tests. They're saying the, that the Down syndrome ones are accurate, oh, yeah. but these are inaccurate. But how many people do we know uh, who have been told their child is going to be Down syndrome and they should well, have one, an abortion? You know, and, and, and they didn't, and the child was... Perfectly healthy. So basically, this is a blood test. This is one of these non-invasive blood tests that is given before people do the kind of the the other thing. Sounds a little little Holmesian. Before people do the um, uh, what's the other called test called film? 
yeah. the more invasive the more invasive tests that involve taking amni amniotic fluid amniocentesis this is a kind of a blood test a blood so basically this is a blood test that's very non-invasive and of course all very innovative and all very silicon oh, valley very silicon right it's not Elizabeth, very homesian not, homesian it's not, but it's not elizabeth holmes in this case, yes. in this case but basically the new york times has said they have done this survey that people who are doing these non-invasive uh, tests the tests are wrong 85 percent of the time and then i think the other thing that's really interesting i'm just going to read this one paragraph from the story that i think is amazing a 2014 study found that six percent of patients who screened positive obtained an abortion without getting another test Ooh. so the, the point that the new york times makes is that if you get one of these blood tests and it tests and tells you something terrible is going to happen to your baby mm -hmm. most people are people sorry people are recommended to go ahead and have another test later on mm -hmm. right a, a more invasive test that could involve could involve by the way miscarriage could involve damage to the baby all of that kind of thing so people sometimes don't do that and obviously as i said a 2014 study by the way which is a long time ago by the way said that six percent of patients who received this very negative blood test result went ahead and had an abortion so this is a huge story an awful bloody story sorry and they talk about the new york times talked to three geneticists one described a case in which the follow-up testing revealed the fetus was healthy but by the time the results came the patient had already ended her pregnancy mm -hmm. and we know by the way it just occurs to me film this happened here in Ireland, where parents were given a misdiagnosis right. of, um, of, a, of a bad abnormality in a child. Mm -hmm. The people went ahead and had an abortion because, of course, Ireland's so progressive now. They have abortion here, but they don't have the Internet. Uh, they do have the Internet, but it's really bad. Um, but uh, they went ahead and did that and just only to discover that the child was perfectly normal and have to live with that for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's an incredible story. And it's, I think it's kind of interesting, honestly, because it's an original piece from The New York Times. I think it's interesting that they dropped it on January the first and i think sometimes and i know phelan is the expert on this you know because you worked in big newspapers newspapers can sometimes do that they can put a story in to at a time to that's busy, cover their ass to say cover we covered ass. that we covered this we covered this but actually a story of this magnitude really should be going for days and days and days and yes. um, we're not in the states so if you guys have been seeing it all over the media that's fine I we're doubt it. doubting it because we're not seeing it everywhere and it should be everywhere okay what's next on the what's agenda next? Well, Phelan, you had strong opinions about this movie that right you watched the movie yeah so it's called don't look up uh, it's written directed by adam mckay big leftist hollywood leftist stars every hollywood leftist you could possibly Shake a stick at Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh yeah, they're everyone's in it. Oh, they're it's all. It's an embarrassment out. of riches. Who, who else is in it? I think that's the way to say yes. it, film. An embarrassment um, of riches. And the director, writer Adam McKay, is quite clear that it's a it's about a meteor striking the earth, and these scientists trying to get the world to realize that the world is going to end, and the media won't won't uh, dramatize it. No one believes it, and the president of the United States who is clearly a Republican, and in fact, I thought was Donald Trump in female form, yeah. played by Meryl Streep. Um, well, is know, is an ignorant buffoon is, and anti-science. Yeah. However, 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 John Nolte from Breitbart, who I, is one of the best writers in journalism today, and someone we uh, know and respect from Los Angeles, had yes. a completely different take on it. Yes. I think the Los Angeles people didn't read the the, the sort of the criticism and the and the um, the director talking about they were it. very you, entertained. If you come into it, you see John Nolte uh, says he he looks upon it as a brutal attack on the media, DC, big tech, the FBI, and the ethically compromised scientific community. He says Trump himself could have produced it. You know, and okay. the, the the news reporter that I see there, and I see it's obviously a take on Fox News. 
John Nolte says, no, that's Misa Brzezinski from MSNBC. You know, we both agree that the movie goes on too long. It's a half hour, uh, I think it's about half hour too long. I think it's fair to say that it's entertaining, however. I mean, it did go on a bit long, and I do think, Phelan, the fact that you and I started watching it after midnight and stayed up until two o'clock in the morning says a lot. Well, this is the things we do for our work. You see, we're just so committed. Yes. We We just never stop. We never you know, stop. But you would say, Phelan, would you just say thumbs up in terms of watching it? Would you tell people that it's worth watching? It's worth watching because I'd be very interested in your opinion on it. Like John Nolte here says, what's more, it's just as easy to see the movie as a metaphor for how the establishment has sought to cover up voter fraud, ignore the horror stories behind illegal immigration, and lie to us about countless things like Hunter Biden's laptop, Benghazi, the lab leak theory, run the Russia collusion hoax, and the COVID lockdowns, and the failure of green energy. So John, read John, we'll put John Nolte's uh, piece up there as well in the show notes. Uh, be very, very, please watch Don't Look Up on Netflix. Tell us what you think about it. Um, I think you'll come, I, th- I think I'm right, obviously. Of course but John Nolte and someone we respect, whose opinion we respect in Los Angeles has a completely different take, which is very interesting. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So very quickly, because we're running out of time. So basically, we have a really nice, we highly recommend this recipe, which is, a, I'm going to call it magnificent butternut, butternut squash soup. And I, I don't think butternut squashes can do anything wrong. I just love them. This recipe called for you, and you can see what we did there. We cut this butternut squash in two and put it into a very hot oven at 375. I would go actually to 400 with that. And we left it in for about 50 minutes. Not long enough. It needs to be left in for longer. Um, and actually, I've been looking at other people's notes and I'm thinking that maybe what we would do in future is we'd chop that butternut squash up small and put it in uh, on a baking tray with some oil and, and, and roast it off that way. I think it'd be more effective. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then what you do is you are going to um, you know, do that, put that on. While that's all happening, and it, as I said, it's going to take a really long time in the oven, particularly if you have it in the two big pieces. Then heat a tablespoon of, of took oil. took an awful long time An for us. awful long time. Um, add <laughs> onion, garlic, ginger mm. and saute mm. over a low heat until golden about eight to ten minutes so the onion you know i i actually and literally you can see what i'm doing there i mean i literally had a bit of a white a bit of a yellow onion a bit of a red onion i mean the great thing about soup by the way is it's so forgiving it's incredibly forgiving i just love that about it and again um great idea then after that after you've got that and your squash look at the squash we took the squash out I mean, we gave it, as I said, 50 minutes. It probably needed longer. Uh, probably and I did. think the next time I would do the other thing. And you it. can de-seed it then? Then look at us. We, we, we show you only a tiny bit of that because we did labor to scoop out the flesh. The idea is that the flesh should be very forget- coming, mm. coming away very easily from the squash skin at that point. Anyway, we won't show you all the mess we made, but we got yeah. the squash in. Put that squash into the pot that you have the garlic and the onion and the ginger in. Throw that in. See what we got. What else we threw in there? We threw in an apple as well. Mm-hmm. Just very roughly cho- chopped the the apple. Um, a spoon of curry paste. I found some Madras curry paste that I had in a drawer here from whenever. Things never expire, by the way. I have remind me, Salem. I want to talk about expiry dates. Yeah, the, the whole well, the whole food waste. The whole, the whole nonsense. The whole food waste. I'll movement very very quickly is, say that when we came home for Christmas to our house in Ireland, we discovered that a friend of mine years ago had given us a. Christmas pudding from Harrods, no less. Harrods. Well, and I that's looked, the kind of people we roll with. That's the kind of people we roll with. And on the on the box, it said that it expired, it died in August of 2020. Rubbish, says I, because I know my mother would have said rubbish. 
and we put it in and we heated it and it was beyond magnificent the whole and we're both still yeah, alive the whole food so, food waste movement is a is a leftist if there isn't ideology. a moss growing on it yeah. is my ideology if there isn't an actual moss growing on it use your nose and use your common sense there's an awful lot of alcohol in those christmas puddings which is a natural preservative mm. moving on back to our pot <laughs> we have the apple with the squash with the spoon of curry paste a spoon of peanut butter. That's a little trick there now. I actually mm, love that idea. Mm, a pint mm. of stock. And I just use, I use chicken stock. A lot of people would use vegetable stock in this case. I nearly always like to use chicken stock. But because you, you cook a lot of But chickens. if you have any vegans around, obviously you want to do vegetable stock there. And bring all of that to a simmer for 10 minutes until your apple is tender. And then get your immersion blender in there and blitz the hell out of that. And I can tell you, it is really nice. Now, you could dress it up, and you could dress it with coriander, or as you Americans like to say, cilantro, or you could give it a little swirl of cream. We served it undressed, naked, in fact. Uh, the soup was naked. The soup was naked. Look at us all dressed up. I'm even wearing the ra still wearing the apron. And I have to say, I really, really recommend it. Yummy, yummy, yummy soup. And uh, you can write and complain to me if I've left anything out, but I will put the whole recipe up anyway, and it'll be on the recipe page on our website, unreportedstorysociety.com. And you want to go there right now. You want to get your friends to sign up right now. And you want to leave a comment. Yes, um, we do. are. Did you, I just heard Philem there mention, did you say we are back on YouTube, Philem? I think we are. I think we are. Okay. After, well, yes. we will, we'll update you on all of that kind yes. of thing. But um, thank you for being you. And thank and you we, for helping us throughout the year, and hopefully you can help us going forward. If you if you want to help, mysonhunter.com. That's a, that's a message uh, coming through. Yes, right. And by the way, can I just say as well, um, a very, very happy new year to everyone. This has been, we are very aware of the fact that this last couple of years have been incredibly difficult for many, many, many people. Mm -hmm. um, we've come out of it very unscathed, actually, um, but we do know and we're very aware of other people who've had an awful bloody yep. time. And so we really wish you a very, very, very happy new year and a very, very happy 2022. God bless us all. Thank you. Bye.